what we believe changes how we live. That's just, that's just a fact of life. I don't know whether you're, you're conscious of that or not, or you, you particularly think of that, but um, for all of us, how we think of, of what we believe will, will change how we live. Um, I'm not sure how much you, you recognise that in yourself. I, I don't know how much... I'm always conscious of it. Um, but if you are a Buddhist, you will behave in a certain way. You will think certain things and, and behave in a certain way. If you are Muslim, uh, part of how you act will, will depend on what you, who you think Allah is and, and, and uh, what you think is like. And so it's important for us to, to get a good understanding about God. Uh, it's a good understanding about the Christian faith because it's relevant to us. It, it changes how we live our lives. Um, you know, if you, if you believe that people are created by God, if you believe that, that we all bear the, the likeness of God, then life becomes very precious to you. In fact, life becomes holy for you. So, so the idea of things like, like abortion become very, very hard for you to deal with. Um, if you believe in a big God, a God who's, who's in charge, a God who's powerful, then you become less concerned with perhaps pleasing other people. You know, you know going to any lengths to please people because, because we know it's God who, who perhaps is the one who we need to look to and not, not people. So, let's go through the, 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 this part of the Nicene Creed today. And as we go through, just think about it in that way. Think about, well... Okay, what does this mean for me? How does it, how does it, my life, how do I live my life? Uh, how do I think about things? I'm going to suggest some things to you, but there'll be others I'm sure that you, you might think about. So, so here's the first part. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, Lord can mean a lot of things, I suppose. Uh, you have lords like uh, lords and ladies. You, 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 I've quoted about him before, but you may be familiar with Lord Farquhar in Shrek. Uh, one of my favourite characters. Uh, you, you might think about uh, Lord's Cricket Ground uh, as being uh, uh, a place where England regularly loses cricket matches. But, but what we, and we say, um, we sometimes say lording it over people. We use that phrase, don't we, sometimes. Um, those things aren't, aren't the, the sense of the word here. Uh, when, when you read it in the, in the original sort of Greek translation, um, this word appears thousands of times in the Old Testament and it always means God. It means God. We're talking about an ultimate Lord. We're talking about someone who's in charge. You may hear Jesus described as the Lord of Lords. It's that kind of sense that we're talking about. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 2 it says, you'll be familiar with this from the, with, from the Christmas story perhaps, the angels saying, today... In the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's how the angels describe it to the, to the shepherds. Um, and, and for someone at that time, that would have been an incredible statement. For, for a Jew of the time, that would have been an incredible thing to hear because, because in their scriptures, they had, they had two things going on. They had, they had the Messiah, who was going to come and, and save them. And they had... Yahweh, they had God, they had the Lord. But to, to put those two things together, for the angels to say, he's Christ the Lord, that he was the Messiah and God, would have been 
an astounding thing for for them to say, an incredible thing for them to happen. And I guess we're used to the phrase now, so we we don't have that same impact. But the thing is here, this is the guy we're talking about. It's Jesus who is God. Uh, And he has a name, that name is Jesus. It's a name that's thrown about a lot, let's be honest, in in our society, often a swearing, unfortunately. But, but, but this is the this is the champion of heaven. This is this is our saviour. This is the one who came to die for us, uh, the compassionate one, the one who's who was dedicated to follow his father. Uh, the Bible says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord that's a powerful name, that is a powerful statement about Jesus and who he is and it does make me think you know, that, that even the most you know when you read that passage, even the most dedicated Muslim, the most cynical atheist they will acknowledge that name, they will acknowledge the, je- the name of Jesus at some point in eternity and they will say that Jesus is Lord and so this part of the creed, this, you know, starts off by saying, okay, we're talking about God the Father. That was the first two weeks. You remember Graham and Jerv talking about God the Father. Now we're talking about God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so it tells us about Jesus Christ now. It goes through and it uses a set of statements to talk about who Jesus was and, and what about him. And it tells us about the, who he is and how we can relate to him. So first of all, Jesus is the only Son of God. He's the only one who we can describe as the Son of God. Some of you, I'm sure, will be familiar with with John chapter 3, verse 16. It's quite a well-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That idea that throughout scripture, Jesus' relationship is seen as and described as the son. He talks about his father. He talks about, I am the son. Um, in John chapter 17, late, later in, the, the, in this same gospel here, um, you have, we have Jesus praying to the father and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify the father. You can see the relationship. It's a father and son relationship. Um, and I don't know about you, but it, it staggers me that, that, that so many people, uh, people you might meet, people, you, you, I don't know, your work colleagues, perhaps your family members, those kind of folks, will, will not admit that Jesus is the Son of God. They either don't believe that Jesus existed, or if they do, they just think he was a nice chap, or he was a good teacher, or all those kind of things. And that, and that blows me away because, because when you read the Bible even the evil spirits knew exactly who this was straight away. So flick over with me in your Bible just, just flick over to uh, Matthew chapter 8 some of you will know that I like to, to jump around the Bible uh, when I'm preaching uh, and the reason I do that by the way is the best way to explain the Bible is the Bible. The best way to understand the Bible is to go to the Bible and look in other bits of the Bible. So, um, so Matthew 
chapter 8 and verse 29-ish. Sorry. Uh, perhaps in 28. So uh, when he arrived, that's Jesus, when he arrived at the other, at the other side, in the region of Gad, can never say that, Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Notice this. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? These, these evil spirits, straight away, they know who Jesus is and they know exactly what's going on. There's no doubt, there's anything like that. That's the son of God and we know what the son of God can do. We are in a lot of trouble. And so our first, perhaps, point of application and our, our, our first thing to think about is Jesus is the Son of God. Is, is who else but the Son of God could live a life that would please God the Father? If Jesus hadn't been the Son of God, he could not have been our Saviour. He could not have saved us. Who else but the Son of God, someone else who was divine by nature, could pay for our sins in such a way that's going to perfectly satisfy God and change the nature of the relationship between us and and God? A a human couldn't do that. A human could not. It had to be someone divine. It had to be the Son of God. If Jesus is not the Son of God, then, then as a Christian I have no hope. I'm exceedingly glad and rejoice greatly because he was the son of God he is the son of God and so he was able to save me he was able to live that life and to die for my sins in the way that he did now now angels and other spirits were created by God at some point we were created by God at some point the entire world has been created by God but not Jesus he's the son of God coming from God and so we get this in the next the next part of the creed where it talks about eternally begotten from the Father begotten just a big word born from the Father uh, but what I want to focus on here is, is eternally uh, before the beginning of time uh, outside of time in some, in, in some sense uh, so let, let's uh, flick back in your Bible right to the beginning Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 Um, and you know when you read a passage like this well let me read it first and I'll make make a couple of comments now let me make this comment now you'll you'll see when you read this chapter the importance of just one word you know when you read your Bibles you know every word every part of even the punctuation is important. So I just, just urge you with that, we're going to see the importance of that in this. So this is Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning of the Bible, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Notice there, let us make man. Yeah, plural. Not let me, God the Father, make man, but let us. Plural. But there's nobody else there. Yeah, yeah, who, who else is that? The, the, the us there is the Son of God and the Holy Spirit. It's the three of them together in creation. 
And we're going to see how, perhaps in some other places, how, how Jesus is, is quoted as being, being there at creation. Um, even back in the chapter, the, even back in the, um, the passage we just read at the beginning of this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have this joint thing going on of, of both being God, so separate persons being God, and yet united as one God. Um, so although Jesus uh, has been there from the beginning, um, we notice that the creed uses that, as I say, that old-fashioned word begotten, um, and, and that, that begotten, eternally begotten. So he's there from the start. Uh, and this perhaps is the second point of, of application. Is Jesus has been there from the beginning. He's there at the end. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. We don't have to figure out uh, whether Jesus now is the same as he was. Because the Bible tells us who Jesus is and he's always the same uh, in in who he is. Um, the Jesus who you read about in the Bible is the one who, uh, if you're a Christian, you will meet face to face when you are in heaven. It's the same one. There's no mystery about that. Um, but this idea of God moves us on to, to the, the third statement, uh, God from God. As we said a moment ago, there's the idea that Jesus... Uh, as the Son of God came from God the Father. Um, let's think about, if, if you think the other way in the Gospel of John, let's look at John chapter 17. You're going to get a good workout, flicking through your Bible, John chapter 17, and this is verse 24. Uh, I, I, I quoted from this a little earlier. Uh, this is Jesus, this is, the, the whole of chapter 17 is Jesus praying to God the Father. It's a, it's a, there's so much stuff in here. There's about ten sermons in here. But, but just, just, just this one verse. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Uh, and he makes it clear there that Jesus is saying that, that God the Father and God the Son have loved each other from before the beginning of time and, and the Holy Spirit actually the, the three together um, and that idea of, of, of being eternally loved um, God uh, is pleased that we love him but he doesn't need his love he does not leave, need our love excuse me because, because God the Father loves God the Son God the Son loves God the Holy Spirit God the Holy Spirit loves God the Father perfectly and that, that love is perfect. Can you imagine being loved uh, perfectly when, when we love each other, you know, the way that parents love children and, and children uh, love parents. Sometimes the siblings love each other, sometimes not. You know how that goes. Um, you know, or, or the way that perhaps uh, husbands and wives love each other. Um, all, those, all those relationships are flawed to a certain extent because they all involve us and we're not perfect. Not true. This is not true of God. God, God the Father loves God the Son perfectly. Uh, to, to, to understand that, that is, a, that is an incredible thought. And, and we, all want, we all want love in, in different ways, perhaps. Um, 
I'm, I'm sure we, you know we sh- when we feel loved, perhaps we shine the most. You know, we shine the best. But but Jesus knew perfect love from the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. He has known that, uh, but he can only know that because he is God, because the three of them are God in this perfect relationship. But there is one time when the Son of God did not know that love. There is just one time. This is from Matthew 27. Jesus is dying on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because at this point, Jesus, who is God and has lived a perfect life, at this point, he's chosen to take all of our wrongdoing on his shoulders. He's chosen to pay the price for our sin, every bit of thought, every evil deed. He's chosen to, to take all that and to pay the price. He's chosen to pay that price for me. Look, I know how wretched I am. I, I know how, how dirty I am. I know how, how much punishment there should be on me if there's any justice in this world. And yet, Jesus has chosen to take that. He's chosen to take that to die with punishment and anguish and pain. Jesus experiences the full wrath of God at that point. A God who is really, really powerful and really, really angry about my sin. And so Jesus goes from experiencing this perfect love that he's known to the opposite, the polar opposite, the full wrath of God the Father. What an incredible idea. Do you, do you want to think about what Jesus has done for you? Think about not just, not just going from, you know, from here to over there with, the, with the, the pain and the suffering. He's going from over there to over there. He's going from the east to the west. He is going from experiencing perfect love to total wrath and anger. So that you do not have to experience that. So that you do not have to experience the wrath of God. So put your trust and your faith in this Jesus that we're talking about today. Put your trust in him. Change your life. Follow him. The alternative is, trust me, too terrible to contemplate. Let's look at the third thing, the third application about Jesus here. Um, Let's go back to that that description in Matthew 27. One of of the things in Matthew 27 that it says is it says that uh, for three hours when Jesus was dying, the sky went dark. We know that it wasn't uh, an eclipse from from how it's described. It, it, It cannot be an eclipse. We know that it is a supernatural occurrence Jesus is dying on the cross and look here how how Jesus is described light from light the creed describes Jesus as light from light we know that God the Father is light yes in the sense of physical light he created light he said let there be light when there was light Um, but I think it's also fair to say he's light in terms of goodness and holiness Um, I think that is, that is what the creed is sort of talking about here. Um, 
And we also know that's true of Jesus. Let's go back to our passage from from John chapter 1 that we read. John chapter 1 there in... uh, Look in verse 4 with me there. John chapter 1 verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So we see there uh, John... Uh, John the, the Apostle describing Jesus as, as uh, light. I don't know if you've ever done this. I, have you ever been to Castleton and gone down one of the mines in Castleton? One of the uh, Blue John mines. They also do this, I think, if you go to the, the, uh, the Yorkshire Coal Mining Museum up at... Uh, is it near Elsicar? Anyway, um, what they do is they get to the point where you go, OK, and now we're going to show you what total darkness looks like and they turn all the lights out. So normally, when, normally if you're at home, you know, there's a bit of a street light coming through a window or there's a, maybe if you've got a kid, there's a little night light. Or if you're outside at night, you know, and, and there's no moon and there's no sun, there's still the stars and, and there's still light around. But when you're down there, they, they click all the lights out, all the lights on, and it's like, totally dark. And you're quite disoriented because you're kind of like, okay, what's up, what's down, you know. You know the phrase, you can't see your hand in front of your face. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. Like, you, know, you can't see it. Um, and that, that's, that's totally dark so we're always used to sunlight being around um, and, and light becomes so meaningful to us and so, and so precious to us if you talk to somebody perhaps who's lost their sight they'll talk to you about the importance of, of light and how it works um, this is the importance of light for us you know, if Jesus is light, God is light when we think about God and light and um, we think about holiness. There's, there's no darkness in God, the Bible says. So there's no, what it's saying is there's no evil in God. There's nothing evil in him. And that's what we're saying here about Jesus. There's nothing evil in Jesus at all. Not one single bit. Um, so when you're thinking, think about in terms of application and you think about what Jesus has done for you, um, you think about your life and how your life has run so far. Perhaps your, your hopes for the future. Perhaps things we don't like that have happened. Um, do not doubt Jesus' motives. Do not doubt God's motives. Do not doubt the Holy Spirit. There is no evil in them at all. There is no darkness in them at all. Yes, bad things happen. Bad things happen for reasons. Um, but, but this is not to doubt the goodness of God. We should trust in his light. We should trust in his holiness. Uh, but the creed also says about Jesus, he is true God from true God. And, and this struck me as a little strange, um, because only two lines ago, you know, he says, uh, God from God. So he said, God from God. I mean, I was saying, true God from true God. Uh, to be honest, I was struggling with this a little bit um, and it reminded me, and I, th- I think this is a point that's worth making, is that the folks who wrote the creed were trying to get at a, a number of ideas that is the core faith of the, of the Christian faith. Um, but, but it's not the Bible. It's not Scripture. So, so what we believe about the Bible is it's divinely inspired. What are you talking about, Ian? That's a big word. What do you mean? What we mean is, what we're saying is that we believe that the scripture uh, is the complete word of God 
that although human beings wrote it down, they were inspired by God and they wrote it down perfectly. So that the Bible we've got in front of us uh, is without errors and it's exactly what God wants us to say. Uh, wanted, he wanted to say to us. It's all he wanted to say to us. He didn't want to say any more to us. He didn't want to say any less to us. Uh, I wasn't going to do this, but you ever had this thing where, oh, I wish, I wish I could just hear from God. People say, oh, I wish, I wish I knew what God wanted, wanted me to know. I wish I knew what God had told me. If crying out he's written 66 books of stuff for you directly. He's told you. If he wanted you to know something else, he would have put it in. Yeah, he doesn't. He's told you everything you want to know, everything you need to know. Okay, it doesn't say in here how to choose what colour of socks to wear today because guess what? God is probably not that interested. He's kind of, he's going to give you the liberty to choose the colour of your socks. But there's a lot of other things in here he really does want you to know. That's why it's really important to get into the Bible. Mine, by the way, are sort of just a plain black around this point. Um, but, but the Nicene Creed wasn't written in that way. The Nicene Creed was a group of people writing it, trying to capture the, the, um, what matters in the Christian faith. And it certainly stood the test of time. This is about 1,700 years old and time and time again people have challenged it and it's kind of stood up. But when we say, when I'm saying, oh, you know, that looks a bit strange, it's not the um, offending scripture or anything like that. Um, so what were they trying to get at? Well, um, they're saying that both God the Father and Jesus are true God. Um, and that idea of, of true God, I think, is talking about revealing to us the truth in capital letters. So you'll often hear people say, uh, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. Um, that is such a flawed statement. Okay, think about this for a minute. Think about this. Think if you were talking with a Muslim imam. I'm saying Jesus Christ was fully God. He died and rose from the dead three days later. The imam says, Jesus was a great prophet, but he was only a man. Okay? Logically, one of us is wrong. You know, these, those two statements cannot both be right. Okay? Either I'm right, or he's right, or we're both wrong, I suppose. But, but one thing is certainly true, that we are not both right. That cannot be the case. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I think that in our 21st century culture, particularly here in the UK, um, people don't want to offend people by saying you're wrong. Or I'm right and you're wrong. Uh, what they want to say in terms of spiritual matters is there's different truths. There's many different truths. And they're all okay. Uh, they're separating, uh, they separate the spiritual from reality and from science. They say, yeah, reality and science, there are definite things. These things are true. These things are not true. Spiritual, oh no, no, it's all a bit, you know, a bit fluffy, a bit, you can have that bit and I can have that. Um, folks, just because something is spiritual does not mean it is also reality. Newsflash, spiritual is reality. Just because someone says Ooh, you know it's spiritual doesn't mean it's not real people have no problem saying you know if I drop this bulldog clear by the ground it will, it will 
drop on the ground? In, in what reality does that not drop on the ground? You know, if I drop that, it will drop on the ground. If I drop it, drop on the ground. Drop it, drop on the ground. There's nothing the matter with, with saying, yes, there is one objective truth when you're talking about spiritual things. It is true and it is factual that Jesus was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It's true that his physical feet, his actual feet, like our feet, his physical feet, walked on places in, in Palestine where we can go and walk with our physical feet. It's the same place. It's true that thousands of people listen to his voice, his actual voice, in the way that people, you are listening to my voice. People physically saw him in the way that you are physically looking at me. Um, it is true, it is actually true, he died a terrible death and he physically rose from the dead three days later. These things are either true or not true. The Nicene Creed and myself and millions of other Christians are saying this is true. And yet we're worried about offending people sometimes. I know I am. I know I am. And I shouldn't be. Let's, let's have a look at another Bible passage. Turn with me to the first letter of John. So you're going all the way over to the, near the end of the Bible. So in your Bible it will say 1 John. I'm going to look at 1 John 5. Uh, right at the end of the, verse 20, right at the end of the chapter. 1 John 5, 20. This is nice. He's telling us the reason for writing the letter at the end of the letter. I don't know about you, I'd, I'd, if I was writing a letter, I'd put it at the start of the letter. He puts it at the end of the letter. So this is why John, this is the same John, by the way, who wrote the Gospel of John. Same guy, talking about it. This is a letter. Um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. We know also that the Son of God, notice there, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who is true and we are in him who is true even in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God and eternal life so the sense there and I think this is what the Nicene Creed is getting at here is that, is that uh, God the Father when it says well first of all it says Jesus true God from true God Jesus as a true God from the Father as true God are true that they are, they are uh, beings that we need to get to know and understand because they are the truth it says the truth will set you free, free. Um, we, need, you know, we want to get this knowledge we want to understand this truth and, and so what I want to suggest to you as our next application is seek out the truth about God seek out the truth about God the Father seek out the truth about Jesus Christ Seek out the truth about the Holy Spirit. It will reward you. Do not settle for this new age gulf about one truth for one and one truth for another. There is one truth. I want to encourage you to find out about it and to find out what it's all about. Let's go to the next part of the creed. Begotten, not made. Uh, And again, on the face of it, this looks like a repetition. Look back, you've got uh, eternally begotten of the Father. Here you've got begotten, not made. Um, I do think here uh, those, those lines are making two different points. First of all, that God comes from the Father eternally. We talked a bit, a bit, a bit about that idea about eternally. Um, but here we're talking about the fact that Jesus has been begotten, 
born, not created. I don't know if you remember uh, Graham two weeks ago talking about this. I think this was a great statement. He said, he said that if you took all of creation, all the, all the beings in creation, and you put them into two columns, one said, if one says created and one said not created, all of us, everything is under the created column apart from God, who's under the not created column. Okay, and this, this is what it's saying about Jesus here, is that he was not created. Yeah, he was born of the Father in, in some sense. That, don't get confused there about you know, a human birth in that way. Uh, but, but from the Father, in, in some sense, born in some way. Um, and, and so, when we think about that, uh, if we're all created and he's not created... Who are we going to compare him to? Who are we going to say that Jesus is like? Uh, as, humans, as humans, we do like to do that, don't we? we? We like to explain things by saying, this is like this. You know, Mission Impossible was a bit like James Bond. Or uh, listening to One Direction is a bit like going to the dentist to have gas. You know, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the sort of phrase you'd like to be there to go with, yeah, we compare things, one thing to the other in that way. Um, but you can't do that with Jesus. You can't, you can't do with that about the Son of God. He is unique. He, you know, he, is, he was not created in the same way that we are. Yes, he became human and his human body was like ours, but that is only part of the story. Um, so what I want to suggest to you here, as, as coming from this part of the creed, is that if you want to understand Jesus, you need to do that by, by looking in the Bible. That is how he is revealed. He, re- he is revealed to us in the Bible. Uh, you can't just say, oh, he was a great teacher, and so I can understand what Jesus is like by looking at great Greek teachers of the same time. It won't do you a lot of good, to be honest with you. Um, next part of the creed here, of one being with the Father. Um, this is... A, this is a really important point, perhaps one of the most significant points in this part of the creed. Uh, and it actually the same point crops up throughout the creed. Uh, we said that there is only one God. And yet we talk about the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit as God. So which is it? Is it three? Or is it one? Sorry. Is it three? Or is it one? Um, so let's take a moment just to talk about something that Christians refer to as, as the Trinity. That's a religious word. You'll hear people throwing it about. Uh, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. Why not? Because it's shorthand for something that actually takes a little time to describe and actually takes a little bit of, of time to put together. So um, it's something that we use to describe a whole, a whole thing. And as I was said, it's very hard to describe God in, in short phrases because of all the stuff that's coming from the Bible. Um, it's also hard because God, the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is shown to us a bit at a time in the Bible. So from Genesis you sort of hear about God the Father, that sort of stuff, and that sort of stuff going on. Uh, Jesus gets referred to by the prophets and in, in the Psalms and that kind of stuff, but it's really only when you move into the New Testament that you say, oh wow, that's the Son of God. And then it's only really towards the end of the Gospels and when you move into Acts and stuff, you start hearing about 
God the Holy Spirit. So it's, rele- it's revealed to us progressively throughout the Bible. Um, so it's important to just think about that when, when we say one being with the Father. Um, and, and a nice way to think about Trinity, I, I came across, is tri-unity. Three unified together. So three beings uh, in one, excuse me, three persons in one being. And so, and so if, you, if you were going to summarise it, and there's a lot of stuff we could teach about the Trinity, that's a, a whole other series, sermon series. Here, here's a, what, sort of what I want you to think about, what I want you to remember. Uh, tri-unity, the idea of three persons unified. So three persons, but one being. And all those three persons, God, all equal. Okay? I should have put all equal on there. Uh, yes, having different roles, yes, having different aspects, but one God, three persons. And so, uh, when we pray, it's okay to pray to God the Father, but it's also just as good to pray to, to Jesus, and it's also good to pray to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually helps us pray. And so, when we think about singing praises, when we think about uh, singing hymns, when we think about praying, it's good to see both God and Jesus. So we'll, we'll sing a song like Ancient of Days that we sang, which is thinking about um, Jesus as being Ancient of Days. He said, we said he, he was eternal. We do try and pick the hymns that are vaguely relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, but also, last week we sang You Are God Alone, thinking about God, uh, God, the, God the Father. So it's okay to, to pray to, to God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, and we should do that sometimes. If you only find yourself praying to one, mix it up a bit sometimes, you, 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 you will find that, I think, uh, meaningful. Uh, finally, through him, uh, all things were made. Uh, do you remember what we said, what was said in John 1, 3? Uh, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Everything. Everything that exists, Jesus had a hand in making. Uh, the stones in this church, the stones that make it up, the metal in this stand, far more importantly, me and you. Jesus was involved in our creation. We were created for God's purposes. Jesus had a hand in us for his purposes. Uh, they made us who we are. We were made to love Jesus, we were made to love God. That, that's our purpose. We're made to have that relationship with them. We're made to follow Jesus. This, this is a statement that's easy to make, but it, it's hard sometimes to get, to get our heads around. Is, is We're not our own. Life is not about us. Life is about God. It's about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit. Yet often we live our lives like it's all about us. It's not all about us. Life is all about God. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus. Um, we, we will be most satisfied in our lives when we are closest to God. We will be most satisfied and most comfortable in our lives when we are closest to God. That's why it's important to understand these words in the creed. It's important to understand this because this is who we're trying to be close with. This is who we're trying to have this relationship with. So it's a, it's a you know, when you start going out with someone, you want to know what they're like, don't you? Well, hopefully you do. I do. Um, but 
So we want to know what Jesus is like if we're going to have this relationship. We want to know what God is like. There it is. There's the whole part of the statement. And, And we spent some time thinking about the Trinity there and this idea of Jesus as the Son of God. This idea of, of being eternally begotten. Um, and, and, and a Muslim will often criticise a Christian for not being able to describe the Trinity uh, because they don't believe in the Trinity, they don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit in that way. That's actually one of the sort of major stumbling blocks if you're trying to share your faith with a, with a Muslim. Um, but how can you... It, we can use words from the creed to try and describe what, what Jesus and what God is like and it's quite a long creed because, because they are unique they are unique, you cannot say as I was saying earlier, you can't say Jesus is like this, no we have to, we have to use phrases like this, when, when we're talking about Jesus, one word, one sentence will not really explain everything that he is um, one word, one phrase in that way will not explain everything who God is, you know he, he's created the universe what are, we, what are we supposed to compare the ancient of days to? King of the earth? No, no, we're not, it's more than king of the earth. It's more than Lord in that way. There's nobody like God. There's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, yet, and yet he's chosen to reveal himself to us. He, he's chosen to re- re- reveal himself to us. There was... Um, uh, there was a philosophy exercise that people will often quote where people say uh, there's three people standing next to an elephant and one person has got hold of their leg and goes, it's a tree trunk. And one person has got hold of their, uh, uh, their trunk and says, oh, it's a snake. And one person has got hold of one of their ears and says, oh, it's a really big bat kind of thing. And people say, ah, oh, look, you, you know, you can't know People have different ideas of God because of their experiences. You know, people have a different idea of God because they've got holes of different parts of it. Okay? The, the one major flaw with that argument is that the elef- elephants don't speak. God speaks. God tells us what he's like in the Bible. So a person's got hold of their leg and they're going, oh, it's a tree trunk. And the elephant's going, no, I'm an elephant. I'm an elephant. And, and the, the person who's got hold of their ears going, oh, maybe it's a bat, maybe something really big. No, no, I'm an elephant. I am actually an elephant. You know, God tells us what he's like in his word. He, this kind of phrase comes from the Bible as he tells us what he's like. He's one God, three persons, one being, each of them fully God, all equal, all of them holding the attributes of God. Is there any wonder we worship this God. Is there any wonder he's worthy of our praise? Only he is worthy of our praise. Our praise. When you describe a God like this and all the things he's done, who else, who else is like this? There is no one else like it. Our job is to know him and to follow him. Let's pray.